Tonight, financial planning from the nation's capital as recession fears grow. An era of economic uncertainty. Canada cannot avoid the global slowdown. The strategy as the cost of living soars. Prices have been shocking. Bracing for a school shutdown. It's very last minute <laughs> to kind of plan around. Millions of families caught in the crossfire of a messy labor showdown. It's disappointing that we have to get here. They don't know what they have started here. Plus, mapping the money trail in the convoy protest. I just felt like the, the vultures are circling. Key organizer Tamara Leach on the funding that fueled the demonstration. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina, reporting tonight from Ottawa. A light display on Parliament Hill, a nod to the past, though today the government looked to the future. Good evening, everyone. The finance minister delivered her fall economic update, which was fixated on one major issue. The 92-page document mentions inflation over 100 times. It predicts Canada's economy will slow to less than a percent next year. But it also warns of a potential downside scenario leading to a mild recession. There's $30.6 billion in spending through to 2028, which is also when the Trudeau government has forecast its first ever balanced budget. Our coverage begins with CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier. The message in the fall economic statement is the government is preparing for hard times and Canadians should be ready for them as well. Canada cannot avoid the global slowdown any more than we could have avoided COVID once it had begun infecting the world. Global uncertainty coupled with runaway inflation, the Canadian economy is now influenced mostly by forces outside of the government's control. There are uh, global uh, changes that very difficult to predict right now, including the war in Ukraine, including how oil prices and energy prices are going to move in the next couple of years. The government predicts the economy will grow ever so modestly in the next year, but the report also includes a more somber scenario where the country slides into a recession in 2023. With the Bank of Canada increasing its rates to fight inflation, government needs to rein in spending. In the months to come, we will be able to invest in the Canadian economy and to be there for the Canadians who need it the most because we were responsible in April. The projected federal deficit for 2022-2023 is $36.4 billion. In that worst-case scenario, that possible recession, it would climb to slightly over $49 billion. Everyone is struggling with, with, with the, the high cost of living, but it's most punishing on those households at the bottom end of, of the income scale. And there are affordability measures for low-income Canadians totaling $6.1 billion, including previously announced programs, the doubling of the GST credit, the dental benefit, and a top-up to the housing benefit. The opposition parties were unimpressed by the Liberals' financial statement. It's about one in five people skipping meals or cutting portions because they can't afford their food. We've called for a windfall tax, as other countries have done, to tax the excess profits, for example, in the oil and gas sector, as a way to tackle that greed. 
but corporations will not be completely spared. The government will impose a 2% tax on corporate share buybacks to encourage them to reinvest in their domestic operations and workers. And some relief for those who carry student debt. Ottawa will cancel the interest on federal student loans. Omar? Joyce, what is the political calculation for the government today to say there's finally a path to balance? Well, this is a government who, you know, for seven years hasn't really shown fiscal discipline. This is the time for it to do it. Um, the timing is no coincidence, not only for political reasons. Rating agencies are watching governments right now in this context. And one of those rating agencies, Moody's, just confirmed Canada's AAA rating. That is a very good rating for a country. And that means that Canada is solvent and can pay its debt. The interest on that debt, though, is climbing, and it will continue to climb, Omar. Some stormy times ahead for Canadians. Uh, Joyce Napier, thank you so much for this tonight. High inflation is affecting every Canadian in a unique way, but a common theme is that budgets are getting blown up. CTV's BC Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy on one new business where these new rising costs weren't baked in. On a busy Vancouver street, a new bakery is about to open. So the oven is secondhand. Erin Ireland makes baked goods for wholesale clients, but always dreamed of having her own store. Making it a reality during soaring inflation has been mind-boggling expensive. So how much was it? Uh, it was $19,000. Knew it would have been 50 or 60. Ireland's equipment and construction budget has been crushed by climbing prices. I remember years ago saying I will never spend more than $100,000 on my build-out, and that is just a joke now. Rising food prices are also difficult. Ireland's signature banana bread has never cost so much to produce. Baking powder has gone up 250%. Oats have gone up 50%. All of our prices have gone up. The price pinch, especially from higher food costs, is being felt across the country. Take a dozen eggs. The average price is now $4.68, up 30% from 2020. Another example, bread costs at least 60 cents more. That's a 22% jump. I'm working with a lot of what I would call middle-class Canadians who are struggling. Judith Cain coaches people how to manage money. And you have to give every dollar that comes into your household a job. There's no miscellaneous or there's no other. Kane says simple shifts in behavior boost savings, such as buying in bulk and making coffee at home. She also says budgets are only useful when consistently used. That's the only way budgets will work, is if you track your spending. As for Ireland, she recently got creative to cover escalating costs. Instead of a bank loan, she used a crowdfunding site to pre-sell gift cards. So we raised $30,000 with that campaign. The 2022 Canada Food Price Report says a family of four will spend nearly $1,000 more this year compared to 2021. Omar? A sharp increase. All right, Melanie Nagy in Vancouver tonight. In Ontario, 55,000 education workers are going ahead with plans to strike, even though the province just made it illegal. CTV's Heather Butts on the fallout. This rally is just a sign of what's to come. Protests set for tomorrow are expected to draw massive crowds as 55,000 education support staff walk off the job. This government was looking to find a bargain basement deal that didn't respect students, that didn't respect workers, that didn't respect families. Leaders with the Canadian Union of Public Employees kicked out of the legislature. I declare the motion carried. As the province passed legislation that imposes a contract and bans a strike. We're here because they have completely unreasonable demands. They have not refused 
uh, to withdraw that strike. And as such, we have no choice to bring forth this bill. The union wants higher wages and better working conditions, but says the province is not budging from its offer of a roughly $1,000 pay raise. This leaving parents divided and some at home tomorrow. Our company now will not pay. It's hard for, for uh, like me and like uh, low income family. The union says more than half of its members work an additional job to make ends meet. This early childhood educator understands the need for a strike. It's hard as a parent, but it needs to be done because we really need to step up. We're really, really struggling here with salary, the support, all of that. It's well needed. Beyond the bargaining dispute, what's drawing attention? The province's use of the notwithstanding clause. The prime minister has called it wrong and inappropriate. The four conservatives are doing something that is unprecedented in Canadian labour history. It is just not okay for them to think that they can take the nuclear approach to collective bargaining. The union could face a fine of half a million dollars a day plus more for each strike. Worker. Other unions are planning to join the protest, and right now there's no telling how long this job action may last. Omar. All right, Heather, thank you. There's also no telling how long hospitals in this country can keep up with the alarming spike in respiratory illnesses among children. CTV's Vanessa Lee explains. Never have emergency rooms across Quebec been so overwhelmed. Okay. The Montreal Children's Hospital was at over 200% capacity this afternoon. Doctors say this is the new normal. Absolutely unprecedented. I've been doing, I've been in the emergency department for over 25 years. And even in our winter seasons, we have days that are very full, but not continual days of overcapacity at this level. Staff are seeing a surge in RSV and other respiratory illnesses. More kids than usual are so sick, they need to be admitted. ICU is full and patients who are requiring the intensive care unit are staying in our emergency department longer than they usually do. Depending on priority level, the number of hours spent waiting for a doctor now frequently extend into the double digits. Hospitals across the country are feeling a similar strain, forcing the postponement of non-urgent procedures to free up staff to care for sick patients. In previous years, younger babies would have had these illnesses, and by the time they're age two, three, four, they have some immunity to, to these um, viruses. We didn't see these viruses in the, la the last few years. We're seeing them all come together. In Ontario, critically ill patients 14 and older are now being admitted to adult ICUs. We need to make room uh, for these kids. Doctors fear the pressure on hospitals will only intensify when flu season takes hold and if there is another wave of COVID. Omar. Vanessa Lee in Montreal. An Indigenous woman in Edmonton is alleging the health care system is not only broken, it's racist. Pearl Gambler said in 2020 she was forced to deliver her premature baby alone while a nurse nearby did nothing. I was asking God to please help me, help my baby. And he stood there and he just watched me. <laughs> The operator of the hospital says racism and discrimination in all forms have no place within Covenant Health. Gambler is suing for $1.3 million in damages. Money was at the center of the Emergencies Act inquiry today, where convoy organizer Tamara Leach testified. CTV's Judy Trin on the millions in donations and where it went. 
because I was seeing families torn apart. Tamara Leach says she joined the Freedom Convoy after seeing the impact of COVID-19 restrictions on her loved ones. My grandma is 94 years old and she was locked in her little apartment by herself for two years. Leach started fundraising online in mid-January to help truckers pay for food, fuel and lodgings as they traveled across Canada. She says she created a finance committee. So that Canadians that were donating this money would rest assured that we were going to be open and transparent. As the movement grew, so did donations. The commission heard that organizers were able to raise $24 million through three platforms, GoFundMe, the Christian fundraising site GiveSendGo, and cryptocurrency sites. I was blown away. Uh, we did not see that coming, did not expect that we were going to have that level of support. GoFundMe was worried the money was fueling an illegal protest and suspended the account. But convoy organizers were still able to access more than $1 million in Bitcoin, and a lot of people had their hands out. I just felt like the, the vultures are circling. Some of the money was deposited into Leach's personal account and may have paid for a private jet to fly organizers to Ottawa. Meanwhile, envelopes of cash were handed out to truckers, rubbing salt into the wounds of business owners who were forced to shut down. We heard evidence some of these truckers who were sitting here, every few days they were getting envelopes with hundreds and thousands of dollars. So uh, they were being paid really to, um, you know, to inflict harm on the people of Ottawa and that's really unacceptable. Leach will be cross-examined tomorrow, and although most of the funds have been returned to donors, Omar, it's not yet clear just how much money the Freedom Convoy has left. Judy Trin here in Ottawa, thanks. In Pakistan tonight, former Prime Minister Imran Khan is accusing his political rivals of orchestrating an assassination attempt. In a spray of gunfire, Khan was apparently shot in the shin. He is expected to be okay. A lone gunman was captured and later confessed. The shooting triggered a wave of angry protests. Time for a short break, but when we come back... We're knocking on a million doors this time around. Battleground Nevada. High stakes for a crucial swing state. Plus... Trade secrets from a stop-motion maestro. In Israel today, a political comeback is complete. The votes have been counted, and former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his right-wing coalition will return to power, replacing Yair Lapid, who conceded defeat today. Netanyahu is currently on trial for corruption charges, which he denies. Turning now to the political divide in the United States, five days before the critical midterm elections, it's all coming down to just a few key states, including Nevada. CTV's Tom Walters on what happens in Vegas. The place famous for turning night into daytime could make a night and day difference in American politics. And while campaigning in Las Vegas may have a style all its own, the issues are a mirror of the country. Everything's way too expensive right now. Pro-choice, um, the election denialism. Rebuild businesses and our economy. Catherine Cortez Masto is struggling to hang on to a seat her party has held for nearly four decades. As a Democrat and the first Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate, 
Cortez Masto has table-thumping support from the huge, largely Hispanic, Culinary Workers Union. We win! We won! We win! But as union members try to get out the vote... We were the Culinary Union. Their door-to-door canvas has become a lonelier job than usual. The same working-class voters they represent were hard hit by the pandemic's impact on Nevada's all-important tourism industry and are hard hit now by inflation. Do we miss the Trump economy right now? Trump Republican Adam Laxalt has focused on inflation and made his own pitch for the Hispanic vote. Lucharé contra la agenda progresista. They're running around peddling conspiracies and lies. Cortez Masto argues that Laxalt is an extremist. We're asking the judge. Someone who sued in an effort to overturn results of the 2020 election and who wants to block access to abortion. He doesn't support that. Winning just one seat now held by a Democrat could give Republicans control of the Senate and Nevada may be their best chance. Polls put the two candidates in a virtual tie. Here in Las Vegas, the bookies favor Laxalt. Of course, that's no guarantee the voters will. But whatever the odds might be, there is no question the stakes could not be much higher. Omar? Certainly a critical few days ahead. Okay, Tom Walters in Las Vegas. And late tonight, proof that bigotry goes beyond politics. The Brooklyn Nets have suspended star point card Kyrie Irving for five games for linking to an anti-Semitic video on Twitter, which he has since deleted. And still ahead tonight. The Ugandan expulsion and the Canadian compassion that saved my family and so many others. It's been 50 years since the entire Asian population of Uganda was given just 90 days to leave. And tonight we are reflecting on the forced exile that changed the lives of thousands of families, including my own. Returning to Entebbe Airport, just south of Kampala with my mother and sister, brought many surprises. Well, Omar, nothing looks familiar. She, along with as many as 80,000 Asians, were forced to leave their homes in Uganda when Idi Amin expelled them in 1972. I want to see that the whole Kampala street is not full of Indians. It must be proper black and uh, administration in those shops is run by the Ugandan. Amin accused Asians of economic sabotage and he kicked them out to give Uganda back to black Ugandans. He was also a cunning and murderous dictator. When he got them, he would bring them here, electrocute them, and then stab them to death. Canada stepped up to help those expelled and chartered 31 flights to bring more than 6,000 Ugandan Asians to this country in 1972. We didn't have any doubts in our mind that if we didn't get as many as we could out of the country, the people who left behind were going to be in serious danger. We had flip-flops on. We came off of the airplane and there was snow on the ground. It was cold. I remember them wrapping us up with a bunch of coats. Most arrived at CFB Long Point in Quebec. My father was on the last flight. This summer, my sister and I took our mom back to Uganda to find her home. I was born here in Nabusange, but I don't know where my house is. We searched for her birthplace and for a way to reconcile the past. It's a long time, 50 years. Mm -hmm. I realized in that moment that 
life in some ways was such a lottery. What happened to us 50 years ago was really a blessing in disguise because ultimately it brought us all to Canada. The full documentary, Expelled, My Roots in Uganda, airs tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Mountain. And not too far from here, there was a special ceremony today. Lisa Laflamme. That, of course, is Lisa at Rideau Hall, where she was invested into the Order of Canada for her contributions as a journalist and a humanitarian, one of 44 Canadians honoured today by the Governor-General. Congratulations and well-deserved. When we return, motion picture magic, when every move counts, coming up next. We leave you tonight with a unique genre in motion pictures that will make you stop and just watch. With the Frame by Frame, here's CTV's Heather Wright. Nearly 20 million people have watched Kevin Perry turn into balloons and disappear in a sneeze. That was very much, how can I make the quickest, most impactful and surprising internet video? So that's why frame one, I'm just falling onto my face, so it grabs you right away. Yeah, this is my studio. Perry is a stop-motion animator and a video wizard, creating unbelievable videos meant to look as believable as possible. You're kind of collecting pieces of footage, so I'll feel myself falling onto cushions. And now uh, I can't have the cushions there, so I have to film the floor, the empty floor, and I'll put that in. The timing is so precise. Each one of these videos takes two to three days to make, and while the concept is simple, it's a painstaking process. At its core, it's just one shot, cut, second shot, and you create an effect. His clients include Intel and Lego, who often give him carte blanche to create whatever he wants which can mean building Lego piece by piece and shooting it frame by frame to create stop-motion magic. It was the primary way to do special effects for decades in Hollywood before computers. And I think it's lived on because you can, you can feel that kind of handmade, hand-of-the-artist quality to it. And Perry, it seems, is always creating, even giving the Netflix intro an arts and crafts makeover. So basically, like, recreated the whole thing like frame for frame with a bunch of yarn. Not only does Perry have the creativity to dream up these videos, he's got the talent to pull them off. Heather Wright, CTV News, Toronto. Very talented. And that is a snapshot of this Thursday from Ottawa. John Venavelli-Rao will be here tomorrow. And we are headed south to bring you special coverage starting this weekend of the U.S. midterms. We'll be right back here in Ottawa a week from today to bring you live coverage of the National Remembrance Day ceremony. For all of us at CTV National News, thank you for watching and good night.